1: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe.
2: Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined by my co-host Nick Delato. Today we got another special show for you. We're bringing on a guest, Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network. This is our second Draft Network uh, guest that we had on the show. We had Jordan Reed earlier. If you if you haven't taken the hint, you should take it already. There is some awesome content over there at thedraftnetwork.com. But why we're really excited about this interview is just because Kyle is one of those guys, and you can just tell by following him on Twitter. His Twitter name, his Twitter handle is grinding the tape. This is one of those guys that spent hours hours on the tape and we were lucky enough to get him on this podcast for a very specific Giants focused offensive line breakdown so we're going to talk tackles we're going to talk first round tackles we're going to talk second third round tackles offensive centers we know the Giants need that position pretty much as much if not more than the offensive tackle position about equally at this point so this is an awesome interview I'm excited to get it started so on that note let's throw it in and bring on Kyle now
3: we are happy to welcome in another special guest. He's the senior NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network, the host of Locked on Dolphins, and he has an excellent draft podcast called The Draft Dudes, along with the great Joe Marino. Definitely check them out. He is, of course, Kyle Krabs. Kyle, how's the grind?
4: The grind is good. Uh, We've reached that nice period where anything I do from here on out is just the icing on the cake. So I got my 300 guys written up. I'm ready to rumble for a couple weeks from now, and, I hope you guys are, too, because it's going to be a really interesting draft
3: this year. Yeah, it's going to be incredibly interesting. And as you know, this is a Giants podcast, and the Giants hold that number fourth selection. And man, I'm telling you, Giants fans, we know full well how ugly a team can be when the tackle position is not at a high level. So in this draft, we have four talented tackles. We have Alabama's Jedrick Wills, Iowa's Tristan Wirfs, Georgia's Andrew Thomas, and Louisville's Makai Becton. Kyle, can you give us a brief synopsis on what these four can offer as NFL tackles, strengths, weaknesses, and who may be the best fit for the Giants?
4: Sure. Uh, I think it's you could ask four different people and get four different answers on who the best tackle is and who the worst tackle is out of this group. But the general consensus is they're all very good. Uh, For me, Jedrick Wills is the most attractive from a pass protection standpoint. I think he really stands out in how well he frames his blocks. I thought he improved his strike timing and his strike placement in 2019, which was my primary concern from his based off the 2018 tape. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, I know there's some colleagues, including one of our guys at at the Draft Network, Dre Harris, who's a seven-year NFL scout, uh, thinks Tristan Wirfs might be better off kicking inside to guard with all pro potential there versus just being a plus starter at tackle. But uh, with the athleticism that he has, and the ability he was pressed into a little bit of action on the left side primarily right right tackle i would give him the chance to play outside and work him in if you needed to his athleticism is through the roof and he meets requisite length for offensive tackles uh Louisville's Makai Beckton is the one who i think is the biggest boomer bust potential because he was a one year wonder uh, but you could almost see like the light bulb came on for him first quarter of the Notre Dame game was when he really started throwing guys around. And I think it's a big Testament to, to coach Scott Satterfield and what they did there in Louisville this year from player development and turning around a bad program very quickly. Uh, Beckton is predominantly left tackle, physically dominant. He's a big time finisher. He's got massive length. He's a good athlete. Andrew Thomas is cut from the same cloth. He's a little bit more technically polished. He's been doing it at a high level for longer. Uh, but I do think he is a little bit more limited if you're going to ask him to take a lot of vertical sets and you're going to run a lot of seven and nine-step passing game.
2: I love it. And you know what's most interesting to me about what your breakdown, Kyle? I think with Wirfs, it's I, going into the process, I thought he was the safest pick. But then kind of with where I'm at now after really studying these four extensively – I almost feel like he's more of the the boom bust because he has that athletic upside. That's obvious it's through the roof, but then you watch him and, some, and, and sometimes in pass protection, it seems like he's a bit of a project, which is what I expected to see more of from Becton. Um, so for me, I, I feel like is that accurate or do you feel like he's, he can, he can not only step in on the outside and not have to kick inside, but really be somebody who can help in year one. Cause I think a lot of, what comes down to the decision for the Giants, if they're going to go with a tackle. And and obviously those who've listened to the podcast know we, me and Nick would probably still prefer as long as if they're going to stay at four and not trade back to go with Simmons, but if they're going to go with a tackle. They're going to need somebody who's going to be not, not someone's going to give them, you know, four to four to eight games of bad tape in year one. They need someone right away. Uh, who's going to be able to step in there and start because they have a second year quarterback and they have a running game. They've been trying to get going with Saquon Barkley, but can't because of the blocking. So who do you, I would, I would say that, who do you see? I, I mean, I would ask you that before we move on, who, how would you rank these guys just for 2020, uh, you know, stepping right in?
4: I think Andrew Thomas is the one who's okay done it for the longest at a high level. Um, And I think the Giants passing game with them wanting to be so physical up front. And and you've heard Coach Judge talk about, you know, the the hard nose approach. And uh, you think about his him branching off of the New England Patriots tree and what that what success they had with Trent Brown as an offensive tackle. Aaron Thomas isn't the size of Trent Brown, but just the mauling ability that he brings And if you can build a lot of play action passing off of that heavy run, heavy dose of the run game that the Giants seem so well built and constructed to do. I think Andrew Thomas is your cleanest plug and play 2020 contributor because he doesn't have the consistency question marks of Mekhi Becton is somewhat of a one year wonder. And he plays on the left side and he doesn't have the the tweener label that some people want to give to Tristan Wirfs.
3: That's really interesting. Thank you, Kyle. And uh, another prospect that I'd say is uh, a hot name in the Giants community is Houston's Josh Jones. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about him at the next level? Does he need an adjustment year or do you feel he could confidently start year one?
4: I definitely think this is an adjustment year player. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched Jones and, and it was almost as though because he's a really good athlete, right? And you saw him on a mobile and, and he did well in that setting. But you watched his tape and it was almost like he was just getting by on being a better a bigger and better athlete than whoever he was lining up across from uh i'm i'm watching him in his pass sets and he steps forward before he steps back so a lot of false steps and i think there's a lot of relatively what should be easy fixes in his game that's going to take his his level of play to a whole new level but i do think there's going to be some growing pains there uh where framing his blocks and making sure his his hands and feet are moving in unison and striking when he's, you know, set on the ground and dug in so that he can generate a lot of force instead of just kind of chasing after rushers as they press up the field and then having to flip his hips and run guys back in on inside counters and stuff like that. It's he's just hasn't mastered the framing of blocks. And that, for me, should be if you put him into a starting position early on, I think you'll experience a lot of ups and downs because he is a great athlete, but there's so many little things that need to be ironed out.
2: Well, that's really interesting stuff then, Kyle, because I kind of – well, for me, more of what I was concerned with was the translation, obviously after kind of dominating a lower-level competition. But if there's issues that will pr- pretty much pop up right away and it sounds like that is at least a possibility, then that's concerning. And he was somebody who I kind of had penciled in at least as my OT5 – and before I ask you a question about another guy who's been, you know, penciled into someone else's OT five, but he's nowhere near there for me. So I want to get your thoughts on him. Would you say Jones is your OT five at this point, and or would you say there's somebody else who's occupying that right now?
4: I expect him to be the fifth offensive tackle off the board. Okay. Uh, for for me, that player is Lucas Nyang. I know there's a lot of questions right. with his medicals. Uh, so that may be something that serves as a catalyst for him dropping in the actual NFL draft. Me, I don't have access to your medical, so I'm not going to deduct you for rumors. I'm not going to you know, downgrade your grade based off of things that I don't have the, the opportunity to make a sound judgment on. So he's flagged for me as a medical red flag, but I'm going to grade him off his tape and what information I have to grade him on. And Lucas Nang for me, right tackle, 330 pounds another big mauler. You turn on the o- Ohio state game in 2018 and you watch him go toe to toe with chase young <laughs> and chase young name dropped. Lucas Nyang is like, that's when I realized like I had to get better as being a technical football player because you just can't run around dudes. Like Lucas Yang taught me that when I played TCU early in my year in 2018.
2: And he was, and he was, there's both on the field as well for that game, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, we actually had Jordan Reed on from the draft network, obviously, you know, Jordan and he, Said, you know, mentioned the same thing, thought, pinpointed Yang as a possible guy for the Giants at 36, really talks, uh, spoke highly of him. So it's great to hear that. We like Yang, too. What's interesting, though, is, you know, obviously with COVID-19, everything uh, or with COVID going on, I, I think this process could really, the situation could really drag for him. And with the fact that, you know, we don't have the information kind on of the medicals and maybe the teams don't feel as comfortable as they had With that process, he could be one of those guys that keeps dropping and ends up really awesome value. But that's an interesting name to keep an eye on. A player who both Nick and I have both studied separately and are not really high on, but he gets a lot of hype. Um, and he comes from the same conference where a couple of years ago, a player got a lot of hype by the name of Colton Miller, who I famously said was, at least on Twitter famously in my own mind, said I wouldn't even lose a third round pick on him. Uh, and he went in the first round. But I know he pr- improved a little bit last year, but struggled at the, be- the beginning a bit. But a guy I kind of see in a similar light, at least someone who I think needs a, to develop a lot, is USC's Austin Jackson. So I've seen him talk a lot up as an OT5 for some people, first round guy. Where do you view Jackson?
4: Jackson for me is OT nine. Uh, he's definitely got his warts. He's got a lot of improvement. Uh, just a little bit of my player synopsis on him in my notes. Uh, fundamentals need improvement. Footwork, hand placement, weight distribution, and flaming of, framing of blocks are all currently inconsistent. Early reps at the NFL level are likely to yield irregular and inconsistent results. I like him best in a zone system because I think for a bigger guy, 6'6", 3'10", six, six, I think he moves pretty well. And I think putting him in, in, in zone heavy rushing concepts allows him to get his hands on guys, use his athleticism and mirror and steer them. Whereas, you know, if you want to run downhill at people, Jackson's probably not going to be an ideal fit for you early on until you coach a lot of the negative muscle memory out of him. So he's a guy for me that is a midday two guy. I understand the upside. But at the same time, he is not a player that I would be falling all over myself to draft in the early second round.
3: And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Checked out with Dan and I. I mean, I just saw him on the ground way too much. Saw him get beat mm-hmm. by players like Bradley and I around the edge. And it just wasn't something that gave me a warm and fuzzy, even at pick 36 for the Giants. But speaking of that pick 36, and if the Giants do go with Isaiah Simmons at four, do you have a target outside of Lucas Niang at the tackle position that you think the Giants... Could explore at thirty-six and pick ninety-nine. Any tackles that come to your mind there?
4: Well, I think Lucas yang's the home run proposition, depending on the medicals, but I would drop two more names. Uh one who I do think is a little bit raw, uh, and that is Isaiah Wilson from Georgia. We're starting to hear some some rumors and whispers and, and I know Daniel Jeremiah mentioned that, you know, there's a chance this guy might go end a first round, early second round, and I think he really fits the blueprint and the model of New York and, and the blue collar approach and, and just, you know, beat you up up front physically, which is what it sounds like they want to do. Uh, he's like six, seven, 350, So big time power. His problem is he's raw. He's a redshirt sophomore and he's going to have to learn on the job. But when you're that big, you have some built in fail safes into your game where you have a gravitational pull just from being the size that you are. So he, for me, Isaiah Wilson is a player who I'm notably lower on than what the NFL is. But if I was looking for players that would make sense, that fit the blueprint of what New York wants to do based on the rest of their personnel and how Dave Gettleman's built their offensive line, he would be another name aside of Lucas Nang for that right tackle position that that I would at least put a star next to and say, let's be wary of this possibility here at 36.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, listen. Gettleman wants to put his stamp on the line, but also they're moving toward, you know, a new offensive system with first year offensive coordinator Jason Garrett. And the expectation, at least, is that they're going to have a lot more power and gap, you know, predominantly under under Pat Shermer, was just inside zone, inside zone, inside zone over and over and over again to a fault that me, at least according to me and Nick, um, and if those changes come, they're going to need different guys who can do different things, I think. So it's interesting to focus on. But how about the day three guys at Tackle? Because there are some interesting names there, I think, as well. You know, you hear about obviously Barch and Pert, and two guys from the smaller schools, but, but who else, would, or even them, if you, if you think they're the guys, who do you like in that day three range?
4: Yeah, I definitely think Ben Barch has a, a realistic chance of sneaking into the top 100. Uh I would call out Sadiq Charles from LSU who checked in at the Combine much bigger than what he played than what he at least looked like he played at. I think he checked in over 310 at the Combine. Uh he's really, really smooth. He showed really fluid hips. Uh there's some red flags for characters. He was he was suspended for I believe five games that they intermittently selected throughout the course of the season. Uh, To suspend him, they effectively sat him out against all the worst competition that they had on their schedule. If you wanted uh, a little bit more of a red, potential medical red flag guy who should be around on day three, but had some appealing tape at least earlier in his career, I'd point to Trey Adams from Washington, who uh, was generally regarded at the start of the 2018 season to be a possible first round player. He's had a back issue. Uh, that that cost him a significant amount of time and some other injury issues as well, but he should be available on day three if you wanted to take kind of the roll of the dice there. If you wanted a developmental tackle, I'd point to Alex Taylor and Terrence Steele. Alex Taylor from South Carolina State, uh, Terrence Steele from Texas Tech, and, and even Cameron Clark from Charlotte. These are all guys that need a little bit more weight room strength. If you're willing to to take the investment and redshirt them for a year and get them in an NFL strength and conditioning program, they've got good movement skills and they they just kind of need to improve their functional strength to get some more technical coaching under their belt.
3: Yeah, and Mark Colombo can definitely deliver that technical coaching, and you're right, just feed these guys some PB&Js and get them in the weight room, and hopefully they can put on that mm-hmm. functional strength. But Kyle, we're going to transition to the interior offensive line, and the Giants have a glaring need at center. So outside of Michigan's Cesar Ruiz and LSU's Lloyd Cushenberry, who's your favorite player that can effectively pass protect and run block and think that can possibly start for the New York Giants?
4: Sure, I think one name that did stand out, he had a great showing down at the Senior Bowl, was Matt Hennessy of Temple. Uh, he impressed me with his anchor in in those situations in Mobile. He's a little light in the trunk. He's not naturally, you know, a power oriented guard, or I'm sorry, a power oriented center, but. He threw the e-brake on guys pretty effectively in the one-on-ones. And it was in both like the, the reach block drills where you're trying to work across face and string mm-hmm. out runs and also in the pass protection and one-on-ones and really liked what he showed as far as sustaining that wide base, not letting his feet get narrow and spinning off of blocks. Uh, it was pretty eye-opening to see Hennessy up close and impersonal and, and see how he handled some of the best of the best along the defensive line in the
3: country.
2: And now let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors.
3: With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking, there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem! BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's hot dog eating contest all open 24 hours a day and all online use the promo code blue wire, that is blue wire all one word to join today and receive your new welcome bonus bet online your online wagering solution
2: that's interesting. He's definitely a guy who we've talked about a lot on this podcast. He's probably, you know, he's a New Jersey native, so that obviously helps for us. But, just, but all jokes aside, I mean, he's somebody who we think is a good value. But another guy who we think is a good value, Kyle, who I'm curious if you think is a good value, because we've heard mixed things. We brought on uh, John John Ledyard yesterday, and he actually wasn't as big a fan of this player. And this is a guy who had great 2018 film, was projected as a potential first-round pick, and then fell off in 2019 what i know behind the scenes is he played through some some serious injuries that were kind of unreported um so what do you feel about wisconsin's tyler biadas i've uh,
4: i've heard some of the same things you've heard about some some medical issues uh my concern would be uh what's the bounce back rate here cuz he he looked pretty stale and and when you watched him in 2018 and even in 2017 as a redshirt freshman like he was very very sticky he stayed on blocks he climbed to the second level really well uh, he seemed like he lost some of that mobility and ability to bring the feet behind him. It's like his brain and eyes were still moving at the same speed he'd been playing at before, but physically he just t- could not play to that level. I know he had off-season hip surgery last year, and then yeah. we come around this year, and he he had a, a shoulder labrum repair that prevented him from working out at the NFL Combine that he told everyone at a his podium session. So that's now two consecutive... You know significant joint issues in in consecutive years for Tyler Biatish. If you feel like you can get him back to the place that he was in, or even get him to like ninety percent of what he was from a functional athleticism perspective in two thousand and eighteen, he's going to be a great steal on day three. But I think with the medical issues that he has, not testing, two significant is- issues with uh, medicals, you know, he was a surprise return to school last year, and you know, it, it, a lot of the feedback that he got reportedly from the the underclassmen uh, evaluation council and committee was, you know, you've got this hip injury, go back, prove you're healthy, whatever. And you kind of look back at it in, in hindsight and say, well, if he would have came out last year, would have had a medical injury and question marks and he would had first round tape and he came back to school and now he's got medical and, and red flags and fourth round tape. So it that decision is one that i i bet if you ask tyler candidly you know if he could go back and do it over again we got to see where he lands and how his first couple years of his pro career ends but that was a controversial decision at the time and and that's one that does not look like
3: it's going to play out in his favor yeah that's that's really unfortunate just for uh for tyler when it comes to uh cause- He's a player I remember going into uh, this season. With somebody that was, you know, mocked in those really early mock drafts I was going in the first round. Just doesn't seem like he's going to even come close to scratching the surface of that. But Nick, I I had a I had a, like a top
4: thirty grade on him coming into the year. I loved his tape in 2018, and yes. then it's when you finally put him under the microscope, you know, in November, and you're like oh man, has he been playing at this level all year? And then you get to the Ohio State game, and Devon Hamilton stacking him up left and right, and Malik Harrison's tossing him to the ground. It it was a tough watch, and it was super disappointing, and I feel a lot for Tyler, because he's a great guy, and he's, he's a really good football player. It's just I don't know where he'll be at medically.
3: Such a damn shame, such a damn shame. But on to another Big Ten interior offensive lineman. Do you think Ohio State's Jonah Jackson, and we'll even throw in Louisiana Lafayette's Robert Hunt. Do you think they could possibly make a transition to center? Is there any possibility for Giant fans to kind of hold that high, or is that kind of a hard thing to evaluate?
4: I think it's kind of a shot in the dark. Um, I, I have not had any exposure to either one of them you know, taking snaps. I know Robert Hunt having played tackle, it would be a huge boom if you could get a guy that could play center guard and tackle, yeah. especially with his power at the point of attack. He's really fun with how he, he mauls guys uh jonah jackson i know as a rutgers transfer he had a great year this past year at ohio state he's my third rating interior offensive lineman this year i'd feel comfortable at least trying him out at center and then knowing in the worst case scenario if you need to play him you can move him to guard no questions asked and I think that should be a reasonable expectation for any interior offensive lineman that you take somewhat early is let's find the best combination of five guys and get those five guys on the field. So if that means Jackson's got to take snaps early, great. If it doesn't work out, okay, you know, we got a guard, you know, how can we shuffle the rest of the deck and figure out who amongst our interior guys would be the
2: viable snapper? Interesting, because I think that's kind of, it's really interesting you said that Kyle, because I think that's kind of where you know some teams are looking to find value now by players who they feel they can they can utilize better at a different position. I think at the next level. And speaking of kind of underdog players in that regard, do you have any underdog sleeper center prospects in this class?
4: I really like Keith Ishmael from San Diego State. Uh, had a chance to to watch him more towards the end of my film studies, and he stood out to me for his mobility. Uh, he's got. I, I think he's he's fairly condensed with his build. He's compact. He's thick. I think he carries good anchor. He would be the one name that if you were going to tell me a guy on day three would go on to have a lot of success, uh, he would be the name that I would point to and say, you know, this is probably a round four, round five guy, but he, he, I would expect him to outplay that draft positioning.
2: Interesting.
3: Yeah, that is really interesting. And I got a a non-football question for you, Mr. Krabs. Okay. So you, so you ready for this? All right. Yeah, I think so. All right. Easter is around the corner, right? If you could be one Easter treat, what would you be and why? If I could be an Easter treat. Yes. This is the analysis we're looking for.
4: I would probably be, you know, believe it or not, based on, you know, how I've used to fight with random people on, in my mentions on Twitter all the time. I, I genuinely enjoy having positive interactions with people and being liked. So I think I would be the Reese's peanut butter egg <laughs> because everybody loves those, right? You can't, so, not, you can't so, not like that. Right. So if you open up your basket <laughs> and you see one of those, you you know, your heart skips a little bit of a beat. You you say, okay, that's the one I'm going to eat first. I'm going to pick that one and prioritize that one. So I I would like to kind of bring a little bit of a smile to everybody's face. So I go with the the Reese's peanut butter egg.
2: I love Moment. it. Kyle. Absolutely love it. We still got a little bit more time, Kyle. So I want to ask you a couple Extra Giants questions. But just to recap, very interesting insight from Kyle. A couple of guys we've been talking about a lot, too. Ishmael is a guy that, that Nick talked about in our Senior Bowl podcast. We haven't touched on him much, but, you know, sleeper center prospect that the Giants are waiting there. And then obviously, you know, the big name Yang, who's somebody who maybe the Giants can get and can be day one starter, and then they don't have to pour that fourth overall pick. Um, you know, into an offensive tackle when maybe the value really isn't great there. So that kind of leads to my question here. Nick. I'm sorry, Kyle, if you were Dave Gettleman, if you were the Giants general manager, and let's not say if you were Dave Gettleman, because hopefully that, you know, would never happen in your life. No, nah, no, just kidding, <laughs> Dave, if you ever listened to this. But if you, were your, if you were the GM of the Giants, you didn't have, you know, an idea. You didn't, so don't qualify this question uh, assuming that you think along the lines of Gettleman. You're your own GM. You're running the Giants. How would you approach days one through – let's say days one through two of the draft, and if you want to go deeper, you can.
4: Sure. I, I think there is enough athletic hybrid linebackers. Isaiah Simmons is my third-rated player in this draft class. I'll say that. But I think you have enough players that can you know, fill that same kind of mold, whether it's Jeremy Chin, who I love this year. Chin, for me, is a top-50 prospect. Kyle Duggar is a little bit more of a pop, more popular name for another small school guy. He's uh, a a midday two grade for me, but these guys are like superb athletes and they can fulfill a lot of the same space and chase opportunities and the versatility to play some back end coverage and also play linebacker and match up against tight ends, you know, with development. So I would look at, Those opportunities there, and I would probably pass just based on positional value, drafting a defensive weapon. I'm not even going to call him a linebacker in Isaiah Simmons early on. And I would draft my top-rated offensive tackle, which for me is Jedrick Wills. Uh, Really clean in pass protection. He's got some nastiness to him he can be guilty of oversetting and being over aggressive but that that's a byproduct of his style of play and and he likes to dictate the pace of play and i think about the identity of what i want my team to be and i want to be tone setters and i want to have guys up front that are going to beat you up and i think Jedrick Wills succeeds in all those areas i really don't care that he plays right tackle i think today's nfl you need two good offensive tackles and then i get to 36 and i ask myself okay Uh, is one of these, you know, hybrid defenders here that makes sense for me, whether it's, it's Jeremy Chin or Kyle Duggar, or I want to look for, uh, some athletes to put on the second level at that point on day two, but I would go with best rated offensive tackle at four and then transition to athletes on defense after that.
3: I, I personally, uh, I see exactly what you're saying, especially when you even look deeper in the draft with some of those second level defenders, Dan and I have talked about Akeem Davis Gaither. I mean, you put on his South Carolina tape and he looks like Gumby the way he kind of just bends yeah. around blocks and he's somebody that we're kind of excited about, but we just don't know if he would, I think it's a class half full mentality to think that he would be available. at pick 99. Yeah. I'm not really sure. What, but, uh, yeah, those was Logan Wilson's another, uh, linebacker that I've been kind of beating the table for out of Wyoming since basically a combine and i just think his film from what i've seen has been something that's jumped out and i think he's somebody who could be uh be somebody that you could probably get at 99 and see that he probably fits what the giants are looking for at linebacker so if they do pass on simmons i do think there are some quality options later with some guys who have athletic upside but nothing close to simmons obviously
4: yeah wilson uh real quick logan wilson was a name i got too late Uh, I had my, my preset list of guys, you know, you, you do the senior bowl guys and your priority shrine guys. And then the combine list comes out and you try and pick your way through it. And, you know, just kind of systemically, I try not to watch too much of the same position back to back to back to back. So I kind of rotating and, uh, Logan Wilson got on that list for linebackers, but he was one of the later ones that I put in. So I got to him about Three weeks ago, and I'd been seeing people talk about him, so I was really intrigued. And and he did not disappoint. Uh, no. I don't think he's, I don't think he's necessarily as dynamic as what he tested at from a functional perspective, but he's got plenty of mobility. He's got a really good nose for the football. He's great football instincts. He's not a two down guy. He's definitely a three down linebacker in today's NFL. So I don't think he's like the star athlete he tested at at the combine, but that's a three down linebacker and a guy that if he's there at 99, would be a home run.
2: Yeah. I mean, I slam dunk. If he's there at 99, we'll see if that happens. I think that teams are going to put a little more, uh, you know, interest into, into finding, into getting, securing one of these off ball athletic, off ball linebackers, because there's it's this class seems to have more than usual, but it, that's probably one of the reasons why I think they'll probably go a little bit higher than people expect. But speaking of that, the giants in Nick and I's opinion have, some key needs we went over the offensive line extensively but on the defensive side of the ball they've been lacking a deep half safety with range to play single hot to play in single high looks for what feels like over a decade they've been lacking an athletic off-ball linebacker to match up in nickel downs against the tight ends against the big slots and running backs of the backfield in both those regards who are some of the guys who you would be targeting not in round one but kind of anywhere after that for i guess athletic off ball types and we kind of just went into that so if, maybe if there's any you know safeties you tr- you would trust year one and single high looks uh from a range standpoint who would you who would you say there
4: yeah i think a guy with a, a little bit of a track background and ashton davis makes a lot of sense yeah. he's kind of a little bit in between as far as valuation in my opinion i know there's some people that really like him uh i believe john who you guys said you had on yesterday i believe he, he has ashton as safety one he does in this yeah. class uh He's safety five for me. Uh, I've got him behind like Antoine Winfield and I've got Jeremy Chin listed as a safety and McKinney and Delpit. But uh, if you feel really good about uh, his health issues because he also did not test at the combine, uh, then he would be the one with the track background that he has as a true single high prowler. Makes a lot of sense on day two. Uh, maybe you can manipulate the board a little bit and try and find some ideal value. Or if you don't want to risk it, you know, 36 is not astronomical. I know the the, the Miami Dolphins picking at 39, they, they have coach Alexander who coached uh, Ashton Davis last year at Cal is now their secondary coach. So there will be teams that need free safeties in between, you know, that gauntlet of 36 and 99. So you could do a lot worse uh davis is the one that stands out to me i would also shout out antoine winfield who ran a little faster than everybody thought he would uh he ran four four five at the in the 40 at the combine and i thought his functional play speed was good i was a little surprised how fast he ran and i know a lot of people were really surprised how fast he ran but he's super versatile i think he's got good football instincts to to kind of feel route combinations developing he suckered quarterbacks a couple times you go watch that penn state game you see a good example of that in deep coverage And, uh, he's got some medical questions of his own. He's had, you know, season ending injuries in two of the last three seasons. He finally stayed healthy in 2019, but Antoine Winfield is super high football IQ, a little bit undersized, but he's a little bit better athlete than people gave him credit for. I think he's capable in filling that role.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you talk about uh, both Winfield and Davis, both two guys are really targeting for the Giants, like them both, especially Davis for me, because just the experience, the amount of snaps he's had in those single high looks, I went back and I looked at it, at least according to Pro Football Focus, no safety was really used in that role as much as Davis, um, and he had success, but what you mentioned what's interesting to me, especially if you're considering using the 36 overall pick, which is really a premium pick in any draft class. On one of these players is the injury situation, and you feel and you see that a lot with safeties that go high. A lot of them flame out really due to their size and and just you know not ability not to hold up at, at the NFL level from an injury standpoint. You know that happens to some extent with Darian Thompson with the Giants, who they the last safety they kind of used a decent pick on, and that was a third round, an early third on. Um, With Thompson, and he had injuries that killed him. Beginning of his career, he was a terrible tackler at the third level. Resurfaced a little with the with the Cowboys, but you know when you're using a top 36 pick, if you're going to use it on someone of that size, and obviously Winfield tested better than people expected, but still pretty small guy. Same thing with Davis. Uh, It it seems like there's some risk inherent, like baked in there. So it'll be interesting to see. But we want to want to get you out of here, Kyle. We thank you so much for your time. This has been unbelievable, just absolutely in depth breakdown that personally like you'll find out from the from the people who respond when, we, when i tweet this out but our entire fan base is made up of people who want to hear this exact type of content like the in-depth stuff they don't want the the talking head stuff so this is great stuff but we want to get you out on this one because it's an interesting question i like to ask every guest or at least most of the guests who's the one player for you kyle that and this could go either way um either you change your mind in one direction or the other who's the one player that you changed your mind on most from the start of the process, from the start of your process until now?
4: I think uh, Tyler Beatis, who we talked about, is a good one. As a guy that I was high on, uh, as a guy who I started a little bit lower on, that I've really found myself warming to, uh, Cam Akers from Florida State, is is one when you really put him under the microscope and you see uh, how much he had to overcome at Florida State from poor offensive design and poor offensive line play and, and having to create a lot on his own. And the other one I would mention is uh, Florida corner, CJ Henderson, who's been a household name for a while, but you know, you see the, the ugly attempts with the tackling and it, it turned me off to him pretty hard at the beginning of the season. And then you, you continue to watch more and more and more of him, and you gain an appreciation of just how dominant he is in press made coverage. Uh, I think Jeff Okuda is the best corner in this class and I don't think it's close, but I think that's because he's a universal prospect. If you ask me who the best press man corner was in the class from a coverage perspective, I would probably say CJ Henderson.
2: I'm so happy you said that too, Kyle, cuz for me, I I see a lot of mocks. I read it. My job, if you don't know, I'm an editor for CBS Sports and we're pretty much churning out at least one mock per day. Some days we're doing two a day. So, it's so a lot of mock reading for me and a lot of draft content and for me it's no doubt no question a top 2 tier at the cornerback position with Akuda and Henderson. I think if I was going to use a first round pick at that position I would only for me at least I would only use it on those two. I don't I don't think the others are really up there and, and it's really what you said If I'm looking to draft a corner in the first round, I want a guy I can trust on an island on the boundary. And I really only trust those two. Uh, I don't know if you have other guys there who you feel are similar in that press, you know, even if it's not just press man, even off man, you know, man coverage in any kind of way. Do you feel like besides those two, you could trust any of these prospects on an island?
4: I think Christian Fulton has some really good flashes of tape. Uh, I I think he has the ability. You watch him in, in pattern match. And once he gets into hip pocket he he's very smooth and controlled, and he's comfortable playing around the frame of receivers without grabbing or hooking too much uh I would put him about a half step down from what you get from Henderson and Akuda but uh, but I think he's he can be a plus starter on an island in year one in my
2: opinion well, to hear <laughs> the giants fans on this podcast who just heard the word just heard the phrase pattern match are probably you know experiencing some uh uh, post-traumatic stress from lad from the last two years with james betcher and the pattern magic defense system we, we tried to employ he tried to employ here but uh i love it i love it kyle really appreciate it
3: yeah kyle this has been great hey uh any any plugs you want to uh, send out to the people listening uh
2: i would just
4: in just in invite everybody if you guys are are big draft nicks you love the technical side of the game swing over to the draftnetwork.com uh we got a great group of staff there a bunch of guys bust in their tail and and we've uh We we like to look at ourselves as football's 33rd front office. So the NFL draft for the NFL teams is not just a three-month affair. And, and, you know, the NFL draft from an off-season coverage perspective gets the spotlight for a couple months in the off-season. But the teams are attacking this thing year-round, and that's really how we try and carry ourselves. And Uh, We got a great database of player reports, and and I mentioned Dre Harris already on this show. Uh, It's been awesome having him on the staff this year and valuable having a a seven-year vet of an NFL scouting background as one of our guys who's writing up player profiles and just great to pick the brains of all these guys. So check out thedraftnetwork.com if you guys
3: are interested in some
4: more in-depth draft coverage. Yeah, That's let me excellent. just
2: say – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nick.
3: No, I was just going to say it's excellent. I've been following Kyle since his uh, NDT days back in the back in the long, long ago, what it seems like, and he does excellent work. So you guys should definitely check it out.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say this. I mean if you guys haven't actually been reading the draft network or you don't know about it, do me a favor and check it out. I'm not even going to give it a sell because I think within two articles, one, two articles, if you're on that site, you're going to see the value, You're gonna and you're going to understand that. Can I get this content in other places? I don't know about that. I really don't know, at least not from the perspective of, uh, you know, in-depth analysis and what you're looking for. If you want to obviously see a mock draft, it, you, can, you can find that in a lot of places. But what they do at Draft Network goes a lot goes a lot further beyond that, and Kyle's a big part of that. Obviously, we spoke with Jordan, uh, who we had on the podcast a little bit earlier this offseason. season, and he's also a big part of that as well. So definitely check that out. Kyle, do you want to plug uh, your Twitter or anything else, Eric? If you guys are interested in following uh, me, uh, uh,
4: not too many film breakdowns these days, but give me two weeks until after the draft and I'll start hitting 2021 guys. I'm at grinding the tape. If you guys are interested,
2: throw me a follow. And they will be. Trust me. This is the exact type of podcast that's going to be interested in that type of content. So, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Good luck with the rest of your pre-draft process. And we're almost there. We're almost at the finish line.
4: All right, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Kyle.
2: All right, Nick. that was. A hell of an interview i am excited just hearing kyle talk about the giants draft process he went deep i mean we thought we would just talk offensive line but we went into other positions but i do want to start in the offensive line with a player that he pinpointed as potentially you know as high as his ot5 um which is really high praise obviously for him and that's lucas yang a guy who we obviously talked about on the podcast with jordan a guy who had awesome tape in 2018 and again injuries uh, changing a little bit about his technique kind of led to a little bit of a downfall in 2019 and now you know the the, the pre draft process hasn't been too kind to him anyway I don't know if I care about any of that stuff Nick do you
3: the thing about Yang that comes off as just being somewhat of a concern obviously you have the, that whole injury thing but he has the tape to back it up against high level competition that's 100% great but how healthy is he how healthy is he going to be yeah. And those are the things that my mind keeps going to. And with everything going on right now in the world, Dan, I think teams are going to be extra cautious with how they allocate their high-end resources. So I don't – like I'm start- starting to be – I love the player, and I'm I'm spot on with, with the crabs. Like he's my OT5 from everything that you see on the film. And Crab said, hey, I can't take in the medical as much because I don't have that kind of information. And I feel the same way, but I'm trying to look at it from the Giants' perspective and the Giants' lens. I think they'll be more risk-averse. I, I don't think they're going to take a big risk if those me- medicals that they probably checked out at the combine and probably – and hopefully they, they did all the work they needed to there. But if they couldn't bring them in for that, that visit, like we talked about in the Ledger interview – I'm not sure if they're going to really want to take that risk at all. And they might go with another tackle at 36. That that could be something that they look at if they even pass on wheels. And if they aren't confident with a player like Yang, will they just go and just be safe and be like, look, we need to get the tackle. We need to protect Daniel Jones. We need to establish a run. We need to fix that offensive line. Let's draft the offensive lineman at four or trade down a little bit and draft him in the top 10 or what have you. But does that – take isaiah simmons off the board i think there's just a lot with the i think Krabs might be right man i think the top five offensive tackles will probably be selected in the first round and that fifth tackle being josh jones not lucas we don't don't know know. right
2: because i mean he doesn't really he had his concerns with jones right nick so that's the interesting thing this is the first guy we've had on who's looked at jones and, and obviously i mean there's obvious concerns that anyone should have with jones he played at houston and he dominated inferior competition now He looks the part for sure. He looked the part of the senior bowl. He's athletic. He's can move, but he has what you want from the frame and athleticism and the production standpoint. But again, it's production against a lower level of competition. What I thought was interesting, Nick, as far as, you know, giving him that guaranteed OT five is that he had, he thought there were warts even with his tape at Houston. So that to me stood out because if Jones, you know, is somebody who has his warts on tape against that level of competition I'm not sure that that's translating to year one as a starter, which, again, is what they need. They need someone to come right in and help Jones and Barkley if they're going to go that direction. So that stood out to me. Did that kind of yeah. catch your attention, Nick?
3: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's the coaching hubris thing. It's the, oh, we can fix him. That's what offensive line and most coaches feel they can do. They can fix the development. And I watched Josh Jones's tape. I think I saw two of his, uh, two of his games on good film, and I saw that exact problem that Kyle mentioned he would step forward sometimes a false step with his outside foot but his athletic ability and his hips were able to kind of overcompensate for that against lower level competition that's not going to happen in the NFL that happens in the NFL you have an edge rusher or a five technique up on your outside shoulder and then you step forward with your right foot you're going to get your outside shoulder blasted and it's going to open up a huge alley to the quarterback and right into the pocket. So those are things that have to be corrected by a coaching staff. And I think Mark Colombo can correct those things, which makes me a little bit more hopeful for Josh Jones. But I I see where exactly where Kyle is coming from, that he may need that development year, especially if you're going to maximize his skill set. And I wanted to bring up one thing because Kyle mentioned framing blocks. Essentially, that means that he didn't put himself, Josh Jones, that is, in the optimal position to execute those blocks. And he was relying on other factors like his athletic ability and things like that to overcompensate. And he would usually win because it was that small level. So that's what Kyle was meaning when he was saying framing blocks.
2: Yeah, and listen, if that's what his ward is, or I guess his ward's moving over to the next level. It's possible that this can, you know, be fixed in in short time with Colombo and and you know better offensive line coaching the Giants have had in a long time, or at least we hope, and at least we expect. And that's something I interesting. But back to kind of those players you mentioned before, those injury players. Uh, you know, will the Giants take a chance on them when they don't know if you know for sure on their medicals based on the process? I still think there's value there because. A lot of the times throughout the player's career, they get deemed with this injury-prone label, and they beat that label faster than people think. There's times that even players who, and, I, and you see this in the NFL time after time, example after example, players who were billed as injury-prone players earlier in their career, they've seemed to completely shake that off. Prince Amukamara is a guy who comes to mind. The Giants, you know, they let him go because of the injuries. He, would, he had missed 40% of his games almost with the Giants. And then in the last four years with the Bears, I believe it's been four seasons or three seasons, he's missed only four games. And he's actually been, according to, you know, DVOA, one of the top twenty cornerbacks in the league over that span of time. So basically a guy with that injury label lost his job with the Giants, moved on to another team because of it, ended up beating that label. And we and I've seen that happen over and over. So I'm at least I guess the way I would say this, Nick, is I'm more injury agnostic than others. And that kind of goes with, you know, our talk about Tyler Biatish because with Biotis, it's like, yeah, he loved him, Krabs. He talked about it. He lo- Krabs loved him going into this season. He had a first-round grade on him, and that's for center position. And I, I had those, you know, Travis Frederick first-round bobs as well from him um, coming into this season. And obviously this season was bad, and there's the injury situation, and there's multiple injuries that starts to, you know, at tack up to a, a potential risk there, Nick. But at some point, Nick— say we're at pick 110, I think at that point, the risk, it's worth the risk.
3: Yeah, at that point, I agree. But I'm looking at it just from that pick 36. That's such a valuable pick that has to be a hit for Dave Gettleman. And I mean, as you alluded to, there are people who defeat that injury label, but there are Probably the same amount of people who succumb to it. Guys like Owa Adigizuba, who the Giants drafted out of UCLA a while ago, and guys even like Todd Gurley to a lesser extent, because he had success in the NFL, obviously. But it's more of just what, how serious is the injury? Is it an acute injury? Is it a chronic injury? And I'm not a doctor, but if it's a chronic injury for a 21-year-old man. In the knees or the hips or one of some of these really serious joints, those aren't going to – those are degenerative and they're not necessarily going to just go away or really get better. It doesn't seem like so. I can't speak when it comes to Niang or Bionish's uh, chronic injuries to the certain joints that they have hurt, but it's definitely something that I feel like you really have to really, really weigh in to the evaluation and really – I mean, hey – like you said, it could force even guys like Niang down if Niang's available at 99 or 110. That's something that you jump all over. But I think Biotis might be in for like a big, a, a big tumble here on draft day. He's probably going to be available in the fourth round, the fifth round, and that's then maybe you can uh, go after him. But I, I've been hearing even outside of uh, uh, this Kyle Krabs interview and just the things that I've been, I've been hearing just people. Around Twitter and uh, podcasts that I listen to, that like NFL teams are really, really uh, hesitant on him, and they're really worried about the the hips and the shoulder. I think I think it is with, with Beattish.
2: Yeah, the injuries are definitely a concern there. Um, but speaking of a guy who you know no injury concerns, who he really liked, who we've talked about is Hennessy uh, at a Temple. And in in that regard, also he mentioned Keith Ishmael, a guy who we haven't talked as much about lately, but a guy who you were very high on to begin with. Do you see those as potential options, you know, if they go outside the box and don't exactly, you know, pick a center with those first three round picks?
3: Well, I think Hennessy is going to be guess, gone. I guess he'll
2: be gone, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Hennessy's going to be, he'll, he'll probably be there for the 36th pick, but I don't see him being there for the 99th pick. But as for Ishmael, Ishmael could be a guy who's around in like the fifth round or something like that. And he's somebody that I feel like coming from San Diego State, they run a ton of pin gap power kind of concepts, like we okay. said some something that we think the Giants are going to run a lot of with Jason Garrett. So he's somebody who he seemed a little bit smaller just from looking at him. But I would want to say he was 6'3", 300 pounds or something like that. So that's, you know, a solid size. And he has the hips to really just turn, seal, pivot and do all those things, pull into space, go to the second level. He has the footwork for all of that. And he went down to the senior bowl and he was one of the guys who I was like, who, who the hell is a San Diego state kid? Oh, Keith Ishmael. He seems like he's holding up at the point of attack and one-on-ones. And that's really hard for offensive linemen and those one-on-ones. I mean, the defense has the advantage, which isn't always the case, but, they know, the defense knows which way they can go and there's a free release. Think about that. Think about how much when we trust left tackles who are left on an island to with an edge rusher who has a free release. We don't trust that with a lot of left tackles, right? right. But the left tackles that we do are high-end left tackles that are really, really good. Well, in these one-on-one drills, they're usually on some sort of island with no guard help right next to them for these centers. So he did well in those drills. And I was like, huh, look at this guy. If he's there later in the draft in the job, have having addressed a center position, definitely draft and bring him in. I mean, the Giants are looking at starting Spencer Pulley right now. That is not something that gives me a warm and fuzzy whatsoever. So I would, I would really like. Yeah, man. I mean,
2: listen, they need to
3: do something about this
2: center position. They can't just if they leave this draft without a center. That's a scary sight because Spencer Pulley is the only one we really know about. They've got some developmental guys they've been bringing in as UDFA's, um, you know, and then they've got the potential of John Alpeo, but. Jalapeo, but I mean, what are we really getting there? Nobody knows. He tore, his, he tore his Achilles late in the year. So that's a process that's going to take a while to come back from. So they really need to address center. And I think they will. I don't think they're going to wait at this position at all. I honestly think that there's a scenario that could play out where they don't take an offensive tackle with those first two picks and Giants fans will go crazy. They'll go crazy, but that's just not how the draft goes. You don't draft by position, uh, position of need. You draft the best player and you try to meet that value to your needs. That's how the good teams do it. The good teams aren't going down their board saying, all right, it's time to get an OT. All right, it's time to get a cornerback. So that that to me is where I think they'll go with it. And I think they're going to put more stock into improving the center position than people realize.
3: Yeah. And uh, that brings up something that Kyle uh, really just elaborated on was the athletic linebackers that are in this class. So if you're looking for the best player available, it's going to be Isaiah Simmons at four more than likely. But how do you value him when it comes to these top level offensive tackles where you might not get the offensive tackle, a healthy offensive tackle prospect later on in the draft, but you could get someone like Akeem Davis Gaither or Logan Wilson. So like, how do you feel like Dave Gettleman can really weigh that decision? Would you go, is it the safe way to go with Jedrick Wills, even though he's not the highest rated player on the board? And it is Isaiah Simmons just because you know how imperative it is to secure daniel jones's offensive line in general because you can't have him just getting hit time and time again it's gonna kill the guy
2: no doubt about it nick no doubt about it and he brought up some interesting names for off ball linebackers and safeties too that the giants could could target obviously you know he talked about ashton davis john ledyard's number one safety a guy who i just really feel like fits the billing best but I, I, i did you find any any of the concerns i brought up with this using that an early pick at the safety position do you find any concerns with that just based on you know size potential injury history and bust rate really at that position
3: i mean it depends on the prospect that you are bringing in and i mean i think it comes in by the way with injury concerns yeah he does i mean and i like ashton davis and i think that he's a he's a I think all those safeties in that range do have concerns. Winfield and Davis, they carry some injury concerns. When it comes to Winfield, he's also five foot eight. He's not a big guy. He's a baller, though, so you have to take that into account. And then when it comes to Chin and Duggar, they're both coming from very small schools. Now, I think they can translate. It might take a year to really kind of then to start scratching their potential. But there are concerns in that whole group of safeties. And then McKinney and Delpit. I think McKinney's a good player, and he's solid at everything, but he's not really great at it. Anything, if that makes any sense. And then, as for Delbe, I mean, he couldn't tackle. Fuck, he couldn't tackle really anything in in really the last couple seasons. So that's a huge concern. But his range is really phenomenal. So I think there are concerns just because the Giants. I think there will be other value there. But at the same time, if they're comfortable with the medicals of a player like Ashton Davis, I do think he can really help the back end of the defense out and really kind of give Graham the opportunity to really use a single high safety and drop down Jabril Peppers into the box a little bit, drop him down into a robber position, maybe play him over the slot, usually in love over the slot, take Grant Haley off the field in on third down situation. So there's not that just vertical liability like there was last year. So it's a, uh, it's, it's definitely a conversation to be had. I think, The best thing to happen would be the Giants to trade back the the Giants to have a bidding war for that fourth pick. They trade back one spot to five and recoup maybe two day three picks from the Dolphins or two day two picks from the Dolphins, if that is possible. And then they can really take some of these risks and bring in some of these players. And it's not going to be the end of the world if uh, if they pass on some of the other glaring needs on this roster.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, that would be that would be ideal. That would be the ideal setup for sure. All right, Nick, anything else you wanted to touch on from Kyle's interview or do you want to wrap it up?
3: No, I think he, he did a fantastic job. It's always great to uh, talk shop with people who I know are uh, really on top of their shit. So I really appreciate Kyle coming on.
2: No doubt. No doubt about it. All right, Nick, on that note, we're going to end this podcast. We hope everybody enjoyed this specific podcast, breaking down the offensive line in depth and diving into some other prospects that really stood out to Kyle. Um, we're going to come up with more content coming soon. Obviously, we know we've been hitting hot and heavy, but there's still more t- topics to talk about, interviews to come. And me and Nick are going to start to dive into our own you know, big boards. We're going to break down day one, day two, and day three targets, do our mock drafts and things like that. So keep it locked and loaded. The draft is on the way. And as usual, if you want to do us a favor, the only one we'll ever ask, Download our podcast on your podcast app. May that be iTunes, Spotify, wherever you download, find us. Make sure you download the podcast and give us a give. If you if you enjoy the pod, rate and review us. Tell your friends and family. Uh, I had a really nice story the other day. We did a um virtual seder. Nick, uh, me and my family we're, were were Jewish, so we did a virtual seder. Uh, yesterday on Zoom. And my uncle is a diehard fan of our show. My uncle, Michael Steve, he's the man and he has pretty much listened to every podcast we've done, Nick. So it's pretty awesome. But what I didn't know is that I I really thought he was the only one in the family listening besides my mom, who you mentioned, avid listener, doesn't like when you curse, Nick. And my dad,
3: uh, I got a potty mouth, man. I got a potty mouth. I apologize.
2: It's okay. It's okay. You're working on it. And then my brother, who could do a better job of that, but but he supports me in a lot of other ways. I'm just messing with him. But then what I found out on the Seder on the Seder Zoom was that he's not the only one. He's passed it along to my cousin Ari, who's now a, an avid listener. And then uh, you know his brother, Uncle Steve's brother, Dean, who uh, you know I'm somewhat related to in, in that sense, second cousin, I believe. He is also now listening to the podcast or trying to. He hasn't figured out how to download it yet. Uh, he said that he can only find old episodes for whatever reason. So I tried to get him set up there. Uh, I tried to tell him that over the Zoom, but I'll probably have to, you know, give him some better directions on that. But it's awesome to hear. So if you guys are one of those families, Big Giants family, that's what we are. That's how I became such a die-hard, you know, follower of this team through the family. If you're one of those families, share it with your family. If you enjoy the show, we're trying to grow. We're trying to do what we can to bring you guys great content and we feel like we've grown the show to a point where we now can have guests on like Kyle and like John these are big names in the draft industry and they're giving out awesome stuff so really good times ahead and
3: and right before we go Dan yes i got a shout out one thing all right i was looking sure. over some statistics all right whoever it is that is downloading in medellin colombia I want to say thank you so much. Right. Because, you know, we're, we're, we have a the fan base isn't just relegated to the northeast, Dan. And uh, there's been a significant amount of downloads coming from the city of Medellin in Colombia. So shout out to whoever that is.
2: Love it. Medellin in Colombia. This is big stuff. I mean, whoever you are, go ahead and find us, me or Nick, on Twitter. I'm at Dan Schneier NFL, D-A-N-S-E-H-N-E-I-E-R. NFL is my Twitter handle. Nick, what's your yours again? What's your exact handle?
3: I'm uh just boring, so it's just Nick Falato, N-I-C-K-F-A-L-A-T-O.
2: <laughs> it's about the same thing. So whoever you are listening to us from there, find us. Tell us on Twitter, and we'll try to do something. We, we, gotta, we still got to talk about maybe doing merch for the pod. That would be a fun
3: thing to consider. Um, if people are interested, let us know, guys, because it's definitely something that we can uh, swing.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Great stuff, and we'll speak to you guys soon.